Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to my first mini coaching episode. This is brought to you by my mini coaching sponsors, where for just $5 a month, we get to have a virtual cup of coffee together and you get to ask me your specific questions. If you want to become a mini coaching sponsor and submit your question for my next episode, you can sign up at patreon.com slash AT Parenting Survival, or you can just text the word mini coach to 44222. Okay, let's get into it. I have some really good questions here that I know will be very relatable to all of you. So I want to welcome Steve as a mini coaching sponsor. And he was talking about how he has been listening to the podcast. And he said, the real reason I listen to your episodes though, is because my nine-year-old is displaying signs of anxiety. He is a boy of many concerns. He absolutely hates school, though not so much before distance learning. He struggles with the technology part of it. All the virtual classrooms, turning in assignments, and generally just understanding how to navigate assignments within the virtual classroom world. Oh my gosh, I could totally relate to that, Steve. We're having the same problem with my 10-year-old. He goes on to say he also has ADHD, and this makes things much more of a struggle for him. By the way, my wife and I get discouraged at the moment because some children seem to thrive in the virtual world where both of ours struggle. It seems to make school harder for them, and we worry that this will create greater divide between those gifted academically and those with learning troubles. And I know um, this is me talking, not Steve. <laughs> you are definitely not alone. I think a lot of people are concerned by that, by that, you know, where there are just kids who thrive in the virtual environment and being at home, and there are other kids who are just not going to be able to make it. And that is a big, a big con- concern. So he goes on to say, my son struggles to sleep in the evening. Sometimes he says he's scared, but sometimes I think it's because he can't switch off his mind. He frets about school the next day. We have a good bedtime routine. He takes a soothing bath. Then we snuggle and read together. He has soothing sounds playing, um, a nightlight. But when it's time to settle down, he tosses and turns for an hour. How can I help him accept and remain calm when sleep eludes him? He gets frustrated when this happens. So I bet a lot of people are having issues with sleep for all sorts of reasons. Sleep is a big issue for anxious kids in general. And when you have anxiety and ADHD, that could be even a bigger issue just because the brain doesn't shut off um, in a different sort of way than anxiety. And when you have both of that happening together, that can be really tricky. So um, you say that sometimes he says he's scared, um, but you think it's because he can't switch off his mind. And so when I'm when I'm looking at sleep issues, I actually have an entire course on how to help kids who are scared to sleep. And I do talk about one of those issues being just focusing and fixating on the next day, which you say he frets about school the next day. So getting to the core fear is really important. And that's um, the beginning of my online class. That's what we talk about is getting to that core fear, because without understanding what's driving the sleep disruption, you really can't fix it. And I think most parents don't do that. We kind of just jump in to... Um, you know, to soothing music and fixing up the room and doing all the things that intuitively we should do as parents, but it's really digging deeper and getting to that core root. So with him, 
we can see a couple of different things. Um, he can't switch off his mind. He's fretting about school the next day. You had already said that he's having a hard time in the online world. And so he's already struggling. We know that for a fact. And he's maybe ruminating or concerned about the next day. Now, some kids aren't even nervous about the next day. They are just wondering what they have to do the next day. Did they do everything that was due? Did they forget something? So you do see that a lot as well with kids, you know, who are anxious or kids who have ADHD, they're worried they're going to forget something. So I would want to explore further with him um, what things he worries about. You know, how does he calm his mind at night? And uh, you don't mention if he's on medication or not, but that's something to look at as well. Whenever I see ADHD, I want to know, is he on a stimulant? And is that part of the reason why he's having a hard time winding down? Just as a side note, I think it's always good to look at the entire picture and we want to make sure that we're not missing something that could be something simplistic, like, you know, maybe his medication uh, is is having making it harder for him to sleep because I see that all lot with kids with ADHD. Now you do a lot of good things. You soothe him with a good bedtime routine. So he's taking a bath. You guys are reading. You have soothing sounds, playing a nightlight, all of those things. But the thing that is the most effective, I think, Steve, is you need to like hijack his brain and refocus it somewhere else, especially with a child with ADHD, but even with a child with anxiety or OCD who's ruminating or thinking, we need something less subtle than music and less subtle than background noise or like a white noise. And so I highly recommend guided imagery or some sort of meditation or something that he can listen to or a bedtime story. I know he's nine, but they have um, like Calm app has some, Headspace has some. There are apps that are made for kids that work well. Um, my kids use Lori Light and it they're really outgrowing her um, because she's she's very much for younger kids. Uh, Lori, like spelled L-O-R-I, Light, L-I-T-E. Really, really, really good for younger kids. And they've been listening to her since they were like really little. Uh, but now... Actually, my son has stopped listening to Lori Light now that I think about it. He listens to Brain Waves, which is another option, Steve. Brain Waves is an app that I use. Um, I've used it for myself, and my son uses it. And they do, um, well, you can look up, look it up. So Brain Wave, just type in Brain Wave. I'll try to leave a link in the show notes if I remember. <laughs> but it's an app, and they have like Delta Waves and Theta Waves, and it can help kids sleep. So that's something, but I would think for your little guy, um, who's not so little that he should probably have some sort of story at night. That's going to take him away. So look for guided imagery. If you type that in, you'll find stuff or look at the calm app. We really have to compete with those thoughts. And so the, the most effective way to compete with those thoughts is to have them redirect their attention to a story. If they can't do that, or if it's distracting, or they're not willing to, you can always have them create a world in their head. And I've done that with a lot of kids. And every night we, you know, I help them, I start them. I actually have a YouTube video on this and I'll see if I can remember, I'll link it in the show notes as well, um, on how to create a world in your head. And it's a calming technique. It's something actually that I use when I'm getting like my blood drawn because I have fainted in the past. So I will go to my world and it's the same exact world every single time. And so it's very real. I can smell it. I can hear it. I can see it. I can taste it. Like it's, it's a simple world and you want your kids to create this world 
and go there at night when they're going to sleep. Um, but you don't want them to have a storyline. So um, I will link that and um, maybe that will help. So trying that. And the last thing I would say before we move on, because I have quite a few questions, um, is I would also want him to to learn how to reframe his thinking. So if he's fretting about the next day, it could be helpful for him to kind of work through that. Otherwise, it's going to still want to seep through and be loud because there's no competition at night. It's very calm. So get into what is he fretting about? What do you normally fret about at night? You know, what are your thoughts that come up when, you, and it's interesting. I, sometimes I'll say to kids in my practice, I'll say, take me through what goes on. All right. So you, you lay down, you turn the light off. And then what typically does your brain start to say? And you really want to get into those thoughts. And then you want to say, now, when your brain is having those thoughts, what can you say back to them? And I talk about red thoughts and green thoughts, and I use that for sleep too. So if my red thought says, oh my gosh, you're going to like not be able to do all those assignments you have due tomorrow. Then my green thought might be, um, you know, I'm going to take it one day at a time, or I'm going to make a list or, you know, my dad said, blah, blah, blah. You help solve the issue and you help teach him how to problem solve and combat those thoughts with some alternative thinking. So when we don't do that and we just kind of throw lavender and deep breathing on top of it without really helping our kids reframe their thinking and um, deal with their distortions, then they continue to have the issue because the main issue, the core fear of like what's driving those thoughts, even if it's not anxiety, even if it's just fretting, although fretting to me sounds like anxiety, they still need to learn how to to think their way out of those thoughts and not just put some something on top of it. So try those things and let me know next time how they're going. You can always let me in Patreon. Uh, Moving on, I want to welcome Jessica. Thank you for your question. She wrote, my daughter started to have very noticeable signs of OCD in December of 2019, and it has progressed a lot since then. Right now, it is mostly about things outside, so she'll avoid the outdoors at all costs. I expect that menu to change as the season changes. What has been consistent, though, is the repeating herself under her breath. It was the first major sign that made me say, wait, this isn't, wait a minute, this isn't a quirk. She doesn't even realize she's doing this. For example, she'll say, hi, mom, what are we doing today? In a normal volume voice, but then it is immediately followed by an audible whisper, often sped up, we doing today, we doing today. Can you explain what is going on here and what I can do to help her, if anything? When I've asked her about it, she doesn't realize she did it. But then after it has been brought to her attention, she catches herself the next couple of times. She also just last month, she also just last month started to clear her throat a lot and she doesn't realize that either. Thank you. Um, and this could be Jessica, a couple of different things. And it's very hard for me to say what is and what isn't different things. Um, some people who repeat themselves will have a just right OCD issue where they have to get their words just right. And they may think that you didn't hear them. So I have people who will repeat it or repeat the last part of their sentence because they feel like you didn't hear it, or they'll repeat words because they felt like they didn't say those words correctly. But what brought, what, what I find interesting though, with what you said is that she's not aware that she's doing it, which makes me wonder if that is an OCD thing, because with OCD, you are cognizant of what you're doing. You may not always understand why you're doing that. Um, sometimes kids really don't know why they do some compulsions and we really have to dig and help them understand it. But the lack of awareness makes me wonder if it's OCD at all. Now there is something called palilalia, 
which is a speech disorder characterized by involuntary repetition of words, phrases, and sentences to actually read it directly from Google. And that is sometimes indication of somebody who's on the spectrum. A lot of kids who are on the spectrum have that issue um, and it's caused by other things. So I just want to bring that to your attention. Um, It doesn't mean that she doesn't have OCD in other areas, but that the repeating under her breath is palilalia. And you spell that P-A-L-I-L-A-L-I-A. It's a lot of L's, just in case you want to Google it and look more into that. Um, Throat clearing can be a tick. It can also be um, an anxiety issue when, when a child thinks that they have like too much phlegm or they can't swallow or they're choking. But a lot of times clearing your throat could be uh, a tick. So if it is something that she's unaware of and she doesn't know that she's doing it, there is not much you can do um, about that as far as, you know, bringing it to her attention. Uh, I don't know how they treat palilalia, so I don't, it's definitely not in the traditional way that we treat OCD issues. And with tics, you can do habit reversal training and HRT. There's, there's quite a few different therapies that you can do, but I would wait and see how long the throat clearing lasts and if it's a tick. So I hope that helps at least guide you in the right direction with those questions. Okay, on to Rachel. Welcome, Rachel, as a mini coach sponsor. She said, my question is how to support an anxious, depressed teen with school refusal to go back to school. He says he'll go back to school next week, but doesn't want to talk about things needed to prepare for COVID changes at a school or how to plan for the first day back. And then she also asked, what do you do when your teen won't talk about his feelings, won't open up and refuses therapy? My 14 year old son is taking medication. He's taking Prozac, but talk therapy is not an option. And I know Rachel submitted the first question last week, so he's probably back at school already. I hope he went back to school, Rachel. And um, it's a shame that he didn't want to prepare for it because I do think in general, when our kids are anxious about going back, the better they can prepare for changes the better they'll do, but we can't force something on a 14 year old. And that that's the tricky part is even if we know what can help them, if they're not willing or able to, to do the things that we want them to do, or, or that a therapist would want them to do, not in his case, cause he won't see a therapist, but there's not, not much else we can do. And so we have to look at what can we do and, and it's limited to that. And that kind of goes to your second question of what do you do when your teen won't talk about his feelings and won't open up and refuses therapy? I always say that that helping a child with anxiety or OCD comes in three buckets. I say this a lot because I saw this in my practice that there really were like three phases of where kids were at when I worked with them. And there were kids that were in the phase of, you know, lack of motivation and trust and don't, they don't want to admit it. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to deal with it. And, and then the second phase, which he's obviously not in it are the kids who are anxious, but they want to work on it. Maybe they're not gung ho about it, but they do want to work on it or they do want to talk about it. And the kids in the third phase, they might've already gone through treatment. They might've worked on it and they just need to be reminded to continue working. They're not cured. They need to continue maintenance and working on that. So he is in the first bucket for sure. And in the first bucket, your main goal is to just work on communication, your relationship with him and building up trust. Luckily he's taking medication. I mean, that's nice because uh, at least you have that And the whole, I don't know how long he's been taking Prozac, but sometimes 
after someone's been on Prozac for a little while, they are more willing to open up and start talking because the medication starts to work. So if he hasn't been on it for a while, I hope that he's new to medication and that that will help. But you can't force talk therapy. Um, I'm actually not, well, I don't know what you mean by talk therapy, but cognitive behavioral therapy is really the way to go um, for an anxious teen, but he's anxious slash depressed. And he might be depressed because he's anxious. And sometimes that's hard to flesh out too, because you can have a comorbid condition where you have anxiety and depression, but also sometimes anxiety can be depressing. So um, it's it's starting with, and this is going to feel frustrating for you, Rachel, probably, but it's starting with talking about his feelings about things outside of his anxiety and depression. So less focusing on his emotions and his feelings and more just getting him to talk to you directly. We have to start with that. It's like a little thread and then you're going to pull it and keep pulling it. And once he feels like he can open up to you and he can talk to you, then you're able to then go to the next level where now you just want to talk about the feelings um, and talking a little bit about just random feelings, not, not the anxiety and depression still, but more about his feelings. And then as that builds up, then you talk about his anxiety. It's slow going and it's frustrating, but if we don't have the trust with our kids and we don't have the communication, then they're definitely not going to talk to us about their feelings. You can also try to normalize some of the stuff that's happening. And you can do that by, you know, sharing things like books or sharing your own stuff. But depending on how shut off he is, I wouldn't even recommend doing that. There have been times, even with my own son, where, and he's only 10, where I just have stopped talking about his anxiety and OCD for like a few months because he was shutting down. And I would make a point to like talk to him about the things that he likes so that we could develop a relationship outside of his anxiety and OCD so that when I did bring it back up, we had a better communication. So that's where I would start with that. Um, And then you can also see what you're doing to accommodate the anxiety. And that is the one role that us as parents can do, whether our kids are motivated to work on their anxiety or OCD, is we can do our part in pulling back those accommodations and sweetening the pot. Um, I like gamifying things. So if they're not willing to talk about it, but I can tell they're anxious about something, then, and this is kind of like my son, he doesn't want to talk about it too much, except he's gotten a lot better actually recently. But if I know that he's anxious about doing something, I can motivate him by saying, Oh, I bet you want some Robux. Or, you know, I noticed that you need some more. Um, he plays this game, this app that takes a lot of money. (laughs) I have no idea what it is, but, um, I don't even know what kind of game. I don't even know. I forgot the name of the game, but anyway, I could just say to him, you can earn a point towards, towards that. And he's, he'd, he'd be motivated to do it. So incentivizing your 14 year old, even if he doesn't want to talk about it, just getting him to take action could be very, very effective. So some things to try. Okay. I want to move on to Anissa. Um, thanks for being a mini coaching sponsor. I'm not sure if it's Anissa or Anissa, probably Anissa. And I apologize to anybody who I slaughter their names of, because I have a habit of doing that. Even the most simplistic names. So she wrote, how do we plan exposures for a shower and the loo? She might be British and the loo. My son spends many hours ruminating and avoiding in there. How do we break it up and help him? He is very stuck. And then I did ask her to clarify that question. So I did email her back and asked her to give me a little bit more because I, I didn't know what was going on as far as the fear. 
because she wanted exposures for a shower in the loo. And he spends hours ruminating and avoiding in there. So he's in the bathroom or in the shower. So I was very confused. And then she wrote back, there is no fear, which is what makes this so difficult. It's very bad avoidance and he gets stuck. He's alert, but cannot move. Once he starts moving, it's not too long, but cannot start. He's been in residential for three months and they can't help him. I'm at a loss and so worried. Please, any suggestions would be helpful. Thanks. Well, and if he's in a residential and they can't help him, um, my job is going to be 10 times harder because I don't know him, (laughs) you know, and I just get this very simple question and I'm really sorry that he's been in residential for three months without any help. I, I get the sense that you're probably from the UK just from your language, but I could be wrong. And I wonder, is he in an OCD residential treatment center? Because if he's not, sometimes even if someone's in a treatment center, they don't understand OCD and they don't get the proper treatment they need. And I know in the UK, there's not a lot of uh, treatment centers. I don't know if there are any treatment centers that specialize in OCD. So I have no idea. You may not even be in the UK, but I am still confused about your question. So it sounds like he almost gets paralyzed, not literally, but he's paralyzed and he can't move. um, And so he's stuck in the shower and in the loo. But I would have to argue, and I don't know him, so I may not have a right to argue, that there is no fear attached um, because avoidance is based on fear or discomfort. OCD in and of itself is based on fear or discomfort. So it's not always fear. Sometimes it's discomfort. I might have a fear that I'm going to feel disgusted, or I might have a fear that it won't feel just right, or I might have a fear that it's going to feel off. Um, or I might have a fear that something bad's going to happen, or I might have a fear that it's germy, or I might have a fear that um, I might, you know, put my left foot instead of my right foot, and then I have to start all over again. I might have a certain order I have to do things. So we're missing a huge piece of this puzzle because these are symptoms. He's getting paralyzed, he's getting stuck, and it's very bad avoidance, but we're, we're, not, we're not getting to the thing underneath it what makes him stuck. It's not just avoidance because if I avoid the bathroom or if I avoid touching something in the bathroom, I'm avoiding it for a reason. Avoidance is because I don't want that discomfort. And so understanding what that is, is going to be key to helping him. And maybe he hasn't articulated it or been able to share that. And that's why no one's been able to help him. So I would love to know what's going on in his head when he gets stuck. What is his brain telling him? What's his OCD telling him? Um, I'm just trying to, I'm reading your, your question and you don't even mention OCD. So I wonder, I'm sure he's been diagnosed with OCD. Um, yeah, you don't mention OCD at all, but it's interesting that you talk about exposures though. So I'm assuming that it's OCD and I really don't know anything else that would actually paralyze someone and make them not be able to move. That's very much an OCD thing, unless it's something medical, but uh, I'm sure that it's been ruled out. So see if you can get more information. I'm happy to dive deeper for the next episode with you, Anissa, and just uh, email me and let me know. And I want to welcome Katie. She wrote, thank you for making this an option and thank you for all you do. You're welcome. I've done a lot of learning about OCD. I have attended a couple of the conferences, done a bunch of reading, listen to almost all your podcasts. That's impressive. Taking my son to ERP therapy, etc. But I still struggle with how to handle reassurance. That is his main compulsion. And his main worry right now is his stuff being damaged or not right. 
How do I work to stop the reassurance seeking? Just answering with, we need to live with the uncertainty of this is not helping. Reassurance takes up a lot of our lives. And how can I make an exposure plan that will help him to stop obsessing about his possessions being damaged and not right? Really good questions. I like these questions. And it's nice that you have a lot of expertise so I can dive in and get a little bit deeper with you. So for reassurance, um, I will often use reassurance cards with kids and you know, you can make them. It doesn't have to be fancy, but you can say, and I know actually Katie also mentioned that her son is 12 and is very well-versed with ERP. So I would make reassurance cards and I would say, how many times do you think you need reassurance today? And you negotiate and you come up with an amount and you say, okay, here are 15 reassurance cards. If you can, you know, you're, you can use these 15 when you want, but once you're out of reassurance cards, we're not reassuring you at all anymore. And let's see if you can not, not ask at all. So the goal is not just you saying, you know, we need to live with uncertainty. Um, I wouldn't actually, in my therapy, I really don't even coach parents to say that. I tell parents to initially just say, you know, I'm not talking to your OCD or tell your OCD to leave you alone. Or, I'm sorry, your OCD is trying to talk to me. I don't, I love you. So I don't talk to your OCD, which I know is a lot, it's a mouthful, but eventually OCD doesn't care if um, you talk back. And I don't know if that's the case with you, but a lot of times, and this is more in moral OCD, but a lot of times OCD just wants to say it out loud. And as long as it knows that you heard it, it's been a reassurance, which is really frustrating for the parents who are like, uh, I'm not giving you reassurance, but you're still getting your reassurance because you'll say, I know you heard me. And then that'll be it. So maybe you, you even just answering, we need to live with the uncertainty of this is, um, making him feel reassured. So I would do reassurance cards if you haven't done those already and just come up with a number. You know, for some people, they start with five. For other people, if it's hundreds of times a day, they might start with a really big number. And then you gamify it and you say, um, once you're done with your reassurance cards, I'm not going to, I'm not even going to respond to your question at all. So use your reassurance cards wisely. And if you can do that, and then you gamify it. You can earn a certain amount of points to earn blah, blah, blah. And then you just bring those reassurance cards down smaller and smaller and smaller each day until they maybe only have a handful of reassurance cards. And then eventually they have no reassurance cards. And the whole time they're trying, uh, I try to get kids to like break their own record. And it depends on how motivated your child is, Katie. But sometimes I try to get them competitive with themselves. And I'll say like, how, how much can you beat your O, you know, or like if, if you're, if the OCD has a name, it's even better, right? How much can you beat Bob? You know, Bob is trying to annoy you. It makes you want to ask these questions. Let's see how long you can ignore Bob. And so maybe they use 40 reassurance cards. And so your best record is 40. Let's see if you can do 20. Let's see if you can do five. Let's see if you can do two right? So you make it kind of a game. Your top score is you only asked me twice today. That's amazing. Um, you may be far away from two, but that's how you build up to it. And then you asked another good question of how can you develop an exposure plan with being obsessed with his obsessions getting damaged? So I have a lot of ideas and these are just random ideas. So you might have already tried some of these. Um, one is you can make his possessions not just right. And so, and he has to sit there and tolerate that. And maybe he can tolerate it for 30 seconds. Maybe he can tolerate it for five minutes. Maybe he can tolerate it for half the day. Maybe he can tolerate it indefinitely. 
Um, but making his stuff not just right is huge and you can do any window. So there's always a place to start. Um, I would also do probably imaginal scripts where you can talk to him about his possessions being damaged and how upset he is and they're a mess. And so I would do some exposures around imaginal scripts. You could also um, take pictures of his images. I mean, take pictures, uh, pictures of his images. Yes, that makes sense. You could take pictures of his possessions and you could Photoshop them and make them look damaged. You can put fire behind them or you can whatever damaged he thinks would happen um the more detailed you get with imaginal scripts the better so i try not to incorporate uh factors in it that the child hasn't come up with themselves so i would say how can your possessions be damaged and if it's like i don't want my brother breaking my stuff then maybe i'd put a picture of his brother breaking one of his toys and photoshop it if it's because of fire or water damage or someone accidentally breaking it then i would try to get those pictures because um doing imaginal scripts that have some fear layers on them. You know, when you start off with just a story, but then you add a picture to it can be very powerful. Uh, the other thing that you can do is you can, you can lightly damage something. And so you can do something that, uh, isn't really going to ruin something, you know, like use a, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, but like, um, like a dry erase board marker on something that he has that you can take off or, uh, you could put clear tape on something that he owns and then use a Sharpie on it so it looks like it was marked on. And he just has to tolerate that, that it may or may not be there. It may not be real for a certain period of time. And again, you, we do this with our kids and he knows what exposures are and so he's well-versed. So um, it's not doing something to him, it's doing something with him. So you say, you know, I'm going to do something to one of your things and it may or may not be really ruined. And again... The Sharpie thing is just an example. I would want to know how he thinks things would be damaged, and I would want to replicate that. And I wouldn't want to really damage his things. We're trying to get him to live with that uncertainty. And I always use the analogy with kids who have that issue. Um, You know, when I'm at work and I park my car, I don't know that my car is not damaged. I don't know that my car is not stolen. I can't see it. It's not in my line of vision. I'm not going to go and check every five seconds to make sure it's okay, because I wouldn't be able to live my life. I just have to let go. And obviously he knows this because you keep saying that to him. That we have to all live with uncertainty. But I use that analogy. And he may get it, but he might just need a lot more ERP. And the reassurance stuff is something you can definitely systematically extinguish over time. All right, well, keep me posted, Katie. Um, the cool thing about uh, these mini episodes is we get to hear back from you guys. So if you submit a question and you want to follow up or we keep having a dialogue about this, Um, I would love that. And so feel free to submit more questions and we can keep on going. Okay, I have three more questions. Um, Maggie said, one thing we've been dealing with recently is our nearly five-year-old son has been crying sometimes when he thinks about his dad or me dying. He had been talking about wanting to invent a machine that would prevent people from dying, but but he's worried that he won't be able to do that before we die. That's so sad. He sometimes does it before he goes to sleep, and sometimes he wakes up weeping and, say, and says he's worried he won't be able to stop us from dying. What a big-hearted five-year-old. I've been trying to acknowledge his fears. I had them at his age, too, while reminding him that the strong feelings he's having are based on love and that we love him so much, and so do so many others. Um, that I don't think we'll die anytime soon, but if we do, it's natural, and he'll feel sad for a while, and then we'll, slow, we'll slowly start to feel better, and that the other people in his life who love him will be there for him. I have long talked with him about my own mom 
who died in 2002, and I think he knows that I miss her a lot, so maybe that contributed to these worries. If there's anything you can recommend we can say to him or do for him to help calm his fears, that would be great. And P.S. I don't know if he has OCD, but he has some of those tendencies. We signed up for an evaluation in December, but are not likely to get one for another year, thanks to a long waiting list and COVID. Man, I wonder where you live, Maggie. That's a little ridiculous. Um, And we'll talk about that in a second. So um, I like the way that you told him that there will be other people in his life who will take care of him. That's something that a lot of times parents don't do. And yet that is actually something that can make some kids feel better because sometimes the fear is something that we wouldn't think about. It's who's going to take care of me. If you guys aren't here, who's going to take care of me? So I like that you say that. Um, Death is so tricky. I always find, I always feel uncomfortable with death uh, when I'm talking to, you know, people in my practice or online, because I feel like it's one of those topics that is so, um, so, so different to each family, depending on their spiritual and religious and philosophical beliefs. And so it's one of those things that I feel like it's hard to advise because it's, it brings in religion and spirituality, um, or your belief system. And so, um, and that, that would change depending on, on where you're at. So when I have people in my practice, I can ask them, what are your beliefs about what happens after you die? And then we can talk about that with the child, um, because I want to support whatever, philosophy or belief system the family has. It does help if you have a belief system to share that with your child. And so that a lot of times kids want to know what happens after I die, but there's a lot of people who don't believe in anything uh, happens after you die. And so approaching it in a, a natural sort of way that this is what happens is, is what I would do, which is kind of what you were saying that you do. A really good book that does that, that's not faith-based, but just talks about the life cycle is The Fall of Freddie the Leaf, A Story of Life for All Ages. And um, I would say this is a book about, you know, the be- beginning, middle, and end of life, that that everything that's here has a beginning, middle, and end, and that's the natural cycle of life. And reading The Fall of Freddie the Leaf can help with that. Um, for those that are listening who have similar issues and have, um, they have a belief of what happens after, after death, that also helps to to have those deep conversations, even with a five-year-old, because um, sometimes they're worried about what will happen after they die. Will they be separated from you? And you want to really find out, and I would do this too, Maggie, as far as what's the worst thing that would happen? And this is going to sound like the stupidest question ever, but I ask this to people all the time. I say, what's the worst thing that would happen if your mom died? And sometimes they get really weird answers that I wouldn't have thought. So, I mean, we just think, well, of course, it's sad and it's death. But I would want to know specifically what he's worried about. Is he worried he won't be with you? Is he worried that it'll be black and dark? Is he worried about it will be painful? Um, actually, you're saying that he was worried about you guys dying. My bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> Halfway through me saying that, I was like, wait, that's not what she was asking. Um that if you guys die, what would happen, right? So I'd ask him, what's the worst thing that would happen when you guys die so that you know where to home? Is it that he's just going to miss you? Um, or is it that he's not going to, he feels like he won't be taken care of. So, and try to get that book. I think that book will help. Um, the other thing I want to talk to you about is I don't know where you live, Maggie. I don't know why you have to wait so long. I don't know if you are in, um, another country. There. There is an OCD assessment online. Um, the Sidebox is pretty much the go-to 
assessment for OCD, for childhood OCD, um, Cybox, C-Y-B-O-C-S. And it's supposed to be administered by a clinician, but it's questions to a parent. And so there really is no reason why a parent couldn't look at the Cybox and fill it out and take it with a grain of salt because they're not a clinician, but you scale it and you rate it. And it's actually super simple. I actually have parents just take it before I see them so that I can just get a gauge on whether the child has OCD or not. So, um, and you can find a copy of the Cybox online and I will leave a link in the show notes, but just, um, as a caveat, it's supposed to be interpreted and led by a clinician, but it is a, it's a questionnaire and it's something that you give parents to fill out. So uh, you don't have to wait. You can do that. Also, if you are in the United States, I'd recommend going to the International OCD Foundation's website and seeing if there's other providers. And so you can go to iocdf.org slash find-help. And um, the another option is to go through NoCD. They provide OCD teletherapy around the country in the United States. They are eventually going to go global. And I can leave a link for no CD as well, or you can Google them um, because they have providers. I don't think you need to wait until December unless you are um, in a country that just doesn't provide assessments any sooner than that. Okay, I want to thank Jessica for being a mini coaching sponsor. And she wrote, hello, thank you for this opportunity. I have three children, ages six, four, and one. My six-year-old has OCD. My other daughter is four and she has been wanting a dog. My six-year-old is saying she doesn't want a dog and I'm wondering if this is part of her OCD or just a normal fear. If it's OCD, will my other two kids need to miss out on having a pet because of my six-year-old's OCD or would it be better to expose her to the dog and get one anyway? I'm willing to do either. It does make me sad at the thought that my other daughter will not get to experience a dog at some point just feeling the mom guilt for my other daughter that does not have the same challenges, but has to adjust so often. They're all so wonderful and I love them so much. This is so hard. Thank you. Well, this is a good question. Um, In general, we really don't want to accommodate the OCD. So we don't want to live in a world where we listen to OCD and we accommodate OCD. Um, and, And at the same time, we don't want to throw our kids to the wolves and overwhelm our child with OCD to the point where they can't function. So I don't, first of all, we don't know. Well, this is like second of all, because I already said first of all. We don't know if it's OCD that's not making her, that's making her not want a dog. And I would dig a little bit further. I'd say, what's the worst part about having a dog? When you think about a dog, what do you see happening? What's, what's the scariest part about it? So really dig in and figure out, you know, is she afraid of the dog? Does she have worries about germs of the dog? Is she worried the dog will bite her? Um, I don't know her themes, and so I can't really, you know, make some guesstimates on what it could be. But regardless of whether it's anxiety or OCD, I would say to her, you know, it's really good for us to move towards our fears, not away from them. And we don't like OCD or anxiety telling us what to do, right? And and then I would see, is a big dog or a small dog better for her? You know, I really would want to get some details of what would help because... For anxiety, you know, a big dog can be really overwhelming to a six-year-old. And if if that's her concern, if like, you know, it's going to bark and it might bite me and it's scary and it's not controllable and it's unpredictable, then a smaller dog might be a better choice. I know at my house, we got a big dog 
um, for, we actually tried two big dogs. Um, and it was a nightmare. My, at the time, I guess she was probably about five or six. My youngest daughter just stopped eating. It was just so overwhelming for her because the dog was like, you know, at her eye length, you know, eye length, is that the right word? I don't think so. That doesn't sound right. But was, was able to like, you know, was about at her height. And so when she would eat something, the dog would kind of hover and uh, try to take the food away. And we didn't have really good luck with two very big dogs. And eventually we didn't give up on the idea of getting a dog. We just got a small little chihuahua that she was big and she could manage. And over time she overcame her fears and loves that dog now to death. So I do think it's a good idea to try to work towards her fears and you might want to do some exposures around dogs before you get one. Um, You might want to foster a dog or see if you can foster the dog before you commit to it so that you are not, um, you know, putting the dog out as far as getting a dog and then it's not a good fit. There's plenty of stuff you can do uh, with exposures before bringing the dog on permanently in your house, but I don't think it's a done deal that you shouldn't get a dog. (laughs) <laughs> that was a long-winded answer to you. I hope that helped. Keep us posted. I want to I want to know if you get one. Okay. The last question for today is from Lisa. She asked a very simple question and she said, "How do I help my 13-year-old son spend less time in the shower?" But you don't tell me why he's in the shower. And 13 in the shower, you know, developmentally and hormone-wise, who knows why he's in the shower that long? So I'd want to know, is he in the shower because he's having OCD issues. Is he in the shower because he has anxiety and it calms him down? I have no idea. So um, you can keep me posted and let me know, and I will elaborate my answer for the next mini coaching episode. But in general, if I have someone in the shower, let's just say it's OCD for some reason, because a lot of times it's because they're in a shower. You want to say, what's going on in the shower? You know, what are all the rules you have to do in the shower? Now, if it's a 13-year-old boy, I don't want to know why he's in the shower, if it's like developmentally, just why he's in the shower. But if it's OCD, um, I'll tell kids, walk me through why you're in the shower and tell me everything you have to do step by step. Sometimes it will take them a full hour to tell me everything they're doing in the shower. Well, I have to wash my hair, but then I have to wash it twice. And then I have to wash the other side twice. I have to turn the water on and then I have to turn it off. And then I have to walk in and then I have to walk back out. I have to rinse my left arm and then my right arm. And then I have to rest, rinse my left arm again. Like there's a lot of compulsions that happen in the shower. And so you'd want to explore that. And then when you write down that whole list, I'm just going Lisa with the idea that it's OCD. If I'm totally off the mark, this is going to help somebody else who's listening out there with their child who's in the shower too long. Um, and then you just write me back and let me know. Um, I don't know why you went on about OCD, Natasha. Here's my actual issue. And I will answer it for the next mini um, coaching episode. But the way that I deal with OCD in the shower, we'd write down all the compulsions they have to do. And then I say, which one do you want to start eliminating first? And we systematically go through. We start eliminating that compulsion in the shower. Okay, I'm not going to have to wash my hair twice. Or okay, I'm not going to have to turn the water on and then off. And you just move up that ladder and you say, all right, what's the next thing you want to take off? What's the next thing? And you reinforce that with, um, you gamify it with prizes or fun things that they're earning. Um, and people think that you can't do that with older kids. You absolutely can. In fact, I find that they're more motivated than the average young kid 
because they want bigger things and they see the value of stuff. So we can motivate anybody if we know what their currency is. So um, I would try that. I'd write, I'd see if he's willing to write down a whole list of compulsions that he does and then systematically go through them. If he's not willing, let's say you have a kid who's not willing to do that. You can even gamify making a list. You can say, if you can write down all the things that you do in the shower or just tell me them, then you can earn blah, blah, blah. You can even give points for communication, you know, not just even the exposure, right? They don't even have to do the exposure, but can we even just talk about it? And that might be a good idea going back to um, Rachel, you know, maybe even just offering some incentives for him to have some uncomfortable conversations with you might be a way to incentivize him. So I hope that you guys found these helpful. Thank you for everyone who submitted questions and have chosen to support these mini coaching episodes. And if you would like to be a mini coaching sponsor, you don't even have to want to ask a question. You might just say, you know, I want to sponsor Natasha's work and I appreciate these episodes and I appreciate her and I want to give back. Um, You can do that as well. And there are a couple of different tiers in the mini coaching sponsors and they start at $5. You can check it out at patreon.com slash AT Parenting Survival. And I would love to hear your questions. Um, People over there in Patreon are also getting some bonus things. I am uploading bonus material and some PDFs and some behind the scenes stuff that other people don't have access to. And I'm going to do that every single month. So there are a lot of very cool perks that I'm giving to the mini coaching sponsors. So I hope that you have enjoyed this first episode of the mini coaching series. I'm going to keep doing them. I'm not sure how frequently we'll just see, um, as the questions pile up, I will do them so that I make sure to not have too many at one time so that we can get through them in each episode. So I hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you guys again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 